0: Today is September the 10th, 2018, and this is episode 2288 of the Survival Podcast. It is a Monday, and that means it's time for listener feedback, and uh, we've got a bunch of good stuff for you guys today. What we got is, let's see, we've got, well, number one, we have a call out for CAC team's uh, support for Hurricane Florence. Uh, which will soon be making landfall in the Carolinas. We have the uh, Citizens Assisting Citizens teams already being activated, Stephen Harris and other members coordinating uh, those activities, and uh, <clears throat> we'll lead off the show today with uh, a segment from Stephen on how you can help in different ways that you can do so. Uh, the TSP 2018 workshop is coming. I have some special announcements about that today. We put out a uh, uh, a video today about what, what's all going to be going on there. It's pretty awesome. Already getting some pretty good feedback. Uh, at long last, going to work out of high school is being respected and honored. Uh, at least one place in West Virginia. Uh, we'll talk about a little article about that and where I think that trend is going. A question on bad apple juice, what to do with it. A person wants to make a lawn or a pasture or a feedlot seed mix. And I'm going to try to, one more time, let's not make it hard, right? I think seed mixes are one of these things people make harder than they have to be. Uh, And it'll tie into another segment later. Uh, More companies are also dropping degree requirements. so we'll circle back to honoring work. And we're going to talk about what it really means. I'm going to, even though there's an article on this, the article doesn't say what it really means and what it really means is critical for young people that are thinking about sinking tens of thousands of dollars a year into a degree right now with no real plan for what to do with it and no spreadsheet to go along with it. Uh, we're going to talk about what that really means. Uh, cool idea for a sous vide cooker, in fact, a couple of them. More on this, uh, this clown character QAnon out of 4chan, 8chan, whatever forums, and why it's worse than I thought it was, way worse. Many thanks to the listener who sent me the email that I'll read to you about this. I have a question on AA and AAA battery chargers when the one that Stephen Harris and I recommend is not available. I have a suitable replacement for that. And boy, with hurricanes on the way in, power going to be out. It's a good time to make sure that you have some backup power solutions. Uh, A lesson from weeds growing in gravel. And we'll talk about that, how that even hooks back into uh, the seed mix question when we get to it. Then I have a question on the NAP or non-aggression principle. Uh, applied to things that we see and hear, yeah, really, and I'll tell you why. Even though the gentleman makes a very good case with an example of how it's not as simple as just not looking or paying attention to people sometimes, it's still a bad idea to even think about telling people what they can and can't say and do, um, so long as they're actually not directly interfering with or harming somebody else. And I'll show you how bad it can spiral and how fast. We'll have all of that and more in just a moment. But before I get into your feedback, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day, number one today, is BulkAmmo.com. Look, guys, I say it all the time, but it's because it's true. Gun, no ammo, expensive club. It is really that simple. For a gun to perform its intended function, it needs ammunition. We all know that intrinsically. You need ammo to train with. We need ammo to defend ourselves with. We need ammo to put food on the table with. Uh, We need ammo to go out and recreate with as well. A gun isn't even much fun without ammo. It just when you do a recreational shooting. Click. Doesn't do it for you, right? Doesn't put rounds down range. Get on over to Bulk Ammo. Check out all the great stuff they have, the great pricing, etc. You'll like it. Make sure you get your discount if you're an MSB member. Then we have, you know, that's kind of the other precious metal, copper jacket and lead. What about precious metal? Silver and gold. Silver's down pretty good right now. That's a good buying opportunity. I have always recommended over the years, it's been a decade now of me making this recommendation, about 5% of your net wealth into precious metals, silver, and gold, with probably the majority lending itself toward the world of silver. And uh, that recommendation has never changed. What I've always tried to say, though, is this should be done over time. If you have no silver or gold in your portfolio, and you're worth, let's say, $200,000. 5% of that would be 10 grand. I'm not saying to go out tomorrow and buy $10,000 worth of silver. I'm saying over time, buy in, dollar cost average your way, and put up that silver and gold is the most anonymous form of wealth that there is. You can transfer silver and gold from one hand to the other. It will always have value. It always has had value. As long as men have traded, they have traded with silver and gold. And you can leave that to your heirs. You can transfer that to your heirs at any time. And we have a saying here in Texas. It's between me, you, and the fence post. Uh, As much as I am an advocate for cryptocurrency, I do not believe for a second that anything has the level of anonymity that silver and gold do. It's not the best form of money in the world. It's difficult to transfer across long distances. That's where something like cryptocurrency really shines. But if you want something done and your neighbor's willing to take silver for it, that's as anonymous as any transaction could ever be, and it's fungible. You can go and sell it to, you know, it's liquid. You can go down to a local coin shop and get cash for it tomorrow if that's what you want to do, or you can continue to hold it. The reason I recommend JM Bullion, don't pay more for the same silver, that's stupid. They have the best pricing available out there. They have great customer service. The complaints are zero from them. They have free shipping, and I can talk to the president if there ever is a problem, and he welcomes my feedback if there is any sort of a problem, even though I ain't been one for like five years. When there were a few, he was like, thank you for letting me know. This is the company you should deal with. And by the way, this company has been supporting us now for about six years. Additionally, additionally, um, they do a discount for MSB members. I don't know anybody else who does a discount in silver and gold world. The, ro- the margins are razor thin. I don't even understand how people in that business really make money. I really don't. It's too. It's a tough business. These guys do it right, and they're there for you. Check them out today at jambullion.com. Next, let's look at a day in history. Uh, this day in history, in fact. It'll go back to the year 1977 on this day. September the 10th, the guillotine fell silent. At Batam's prison in Marseille, France, Hamid de Javouni, a Tunisian immigrant, convicted of murder, becomes the last person executed by the guillotine. The guillotine first gained fame during the French Revolution when physician and revolutionary Joseph Guillotine won passage of a law requiring all death sentences to be carried out by means of machine. Decapitating machines used earlier in Ireland and England, and Guillotine and his supporters viewed these devices as more humane than other execution techniques such as hanging or a firing squad. The French decapitating machine was built and tested on cadavers, and on April 25, 1792, a highwayman became the first person in revolutionary France to be executed by this method. The device soon became known as the guillotine after its advocate, And more than 10,000 people lost their heads by guillotine during the revolution, including Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette, the former king and queen of France. Of course, Marie being known for let them eat cake was a bad choice of words. Uh, Use of the guillotine continued in France until the 19th and 20th centuries, and the last execution by guillotine occurred in 1977 in September 1981. France outlawed capital punishment altogether, thus abandoning the guillotine forever. There's a museum dedicated to the guillotine in Linden, Sweden. You know, I wanted to actually, I selected this one for today's, because there's you know, a lot of stuff happened on this day, September 10th. I suggested this one because he made a chance to talk about capital punishment in the state. Uh, I've been doing a project on Instagram called Spirko's Laws of Life. and Right now, there are 30 laws of life. And the fifth law of life is the only one that even touches politics out of all 30 of them. And it's a very simple one, and it it tells you all you need to know about dealing with the state and politics. Spirgo's fifth law of life is all power granted to the state will be abused and used incompetently, so think carefully before granting them any such power. And I want to explain something. This is an absolute, because people are fallible, and people make mistakes, and people are corruptible, and people become corrupted. And if you give something like the state that has the ability to use force, a power, it will both be used fallibly and it will be used corruptedly. It will be. It, it's not if, it's when and how bad. This is why my stance on the death penalty changed. I am not opposed to the punishment of death for certain crimes. There's a guy that uh, we just watched a series on called like, Mind of Criminals or something like that, and this was a guy who very kind of recently had taken this girl and locked her for like 18 years in his house, chained her up, uh, had beaten her so that she would have miscarriages and things like that. And uh, if, some, if if this lady would have gotten, she did get free and, and got help for her and somebody else. I don't remember which one this was. There's so many of them that this type of thing has happened with. But if if she had found an ice pick and instead of leaving the house embedded it in the back of his head and killed him i don't know that i would have you know wept for a second and if some somebody had found this in ha- happening and killed this man with their bare hands i don't think i would have held anything against the person who did it but if you if you go to google and type the following in wrongful death penalty convictions You will literally find a laundry list of mostly African-American men, by the way, who have been cleared after maybe a decade or more on death row by new evidence, uh, specifically DNA, that, that proves without a doubt they never did it. They weren't there. It wasn't them. And in most of those cases, if you dig into them, you will find prosecution lying or withholding or hiding evidence during the trial. Or evidence that should have been admitted to the trial that wasn't. Why? All power granted to the state will be abused and used incompetently, so think carefully before granting them any such powers. Now, I know not everybody's going to be an anarchist like me in principle, okay? Um, And you're not even, not everybody's even going to be a minarchist libertarian, which I think is a hell of an improvement if you're going to stay in the world of statism. I know the people are going to stay anchored into their world of the dichotomy of conservative and liberalism without even really understanding what either one of those are because they have bought into the marketing. I get it. I think this is a universal principle, though. There are certain things that you cannot have someone have power to do if you know at some point they will be abused and used incompetently. The ability to take a life cannot be granted to an entity who has proven that it will abuse power and use it incompetently. And you cannot find me any power the state has ever had that you can't point to examples of incompetence and abuse and corruption of that said power. When it comes to killing somebody, you can't have that. Because if we do put you in prison for 20 years, and we do that with incompetence and malice and abuse, but someday you are proven innocent, we can say... We're sorry and let you go. If you electrocute somebody, you cannot unelectrocute them. If you shoot them with a gun, you can't unshoot them. If you cut their head off with a guillotine, you cannot put it back on. It is irreversible. And there are certain things, again, that I do not believe the state should have the power to do. So I am not opposed to the concept of capital punishment. I am opposed to the state possessing the power thereof. Because all power granted to the state will be abused and used incompetently. So think carefully before granting them any such power. Even those of you that see the state as a necessary evil. Even those of you that see the state as a necessary good. You can't argue this point. So don't give them a power where you can't afford to have it abused or used incompetently. Just my thoughts. If you like that, and you like the laws of life, and you want to know what they all are, and you want to read them, and you want to hear one-minute cool videos, check out Instagram, and it's Jack Life. Anyway, so I have now an announcement on preparation for Hurricane Florence from Stephen Harris of CAC Teams. I'm
1: going to go ahead and play that for you, and I'll come back, and we'll get into the rest of the show. Hello, TSP. This is Stephen Harris. Jack has let me come on real quick because we need your help. Jack founded what became Citizens Assisting Citizens, or CAC team, as a disaster response team after severe frustration at the non-response after Hurricane Sandy, when FEMA literally put up a sign on their door that said, closed due to wet weather. He turned that group over to a group of people who started it and then grew it. Then it got turned over to others, and eventually, a few years ago, I, Stephen Harris, became part of it. I'm now chairman of the group. In case you've not seen the news, around this Thursday, Hurricane Florence is going to pound North Carolina-South Carolina border as a cat for Hurricane. And it's going to move inland, and then it's going to stall, probably for days, just like Sandy and Harvey. And it's going to dump rain for days and flood an already saturated area. CAC team responded to Harvey in Texas, Maria in Puerto Rico and in Van Texas to a, tornado, uh, to a tornado. We are responding to Florence. We are responding to Florence. I activated the group four days ago and now we are fully active and alerting all members and we're asking for more help. This is what I need. This is how you can help first i need donations yeah i know we all do i need donations we buy diapers food water cleaning sanitation supplies things so people don't get mold we buy gasoline and more we buy things that are needed now We make our own hygiene kits and give them to people who have literally just gotten out of the boat from the Cajun Navy with nothing but the wet clothes on their back that they are wearing. We give them a hygiene kit when they're dirty and have nothing. We put all of this into the hands of people one-on-one. We do not help FEMA. We do not help the Red Cross. We help people before they get there. We are fast. We are nimble. We are quick. We help the people they miss after they show up. And let me tell you, after Harvey, that's a lot of people they missed. Go to team That's Charlie Alpha Charlie T E A M. to donate. Uh, literally, your dollars can be used. They can they can go into PayPal and they can then be spent. by a volunteer, and that volunteer can take those items and have them in the hands of someone who needs them in less than one hour. It might be a day, but literally it can happen that quick. That's how efficient we are, and that's how quick and nimble we are. I'm dead serious. We are fast. We buy at Dollar Tree, Dollar General, Big Lot, Sam's Club, and finally Walmart, and we buy in that order. We have this down to a science. We are very, very smart with your donated money. If you want to see around two hundred and fifty photos of things that we did to help in Houston and Puerto Rico, then I put up some photo albums for you to see. Yep. They are temporarily located for the needs of speed at CAC, Charlie Alpha Charlie, one two three four dot com. Two Second way you can help, I need safe havens. What is a safe haven? It's where you are in, near, or close, even a few hours from, the affected area. This affected area can be the whole East Coast with what's going to happen. You offer a room in your house for two or three CAC volunteers to sleep and hopefully get a shower in the morning before they go out for 16 hours to help more people. It's nice if they can sleep in some air conditioning. They will all pile into one bedroom. They are all courteous. They are all professional. They are all thrilled to have a place they can go that they know is safe so they can rest and sleep and park their vehicle out front. They'll even sleep on the floor. That's part of you volunteer. You might be sleeping on the floor. Bring a sleeping bag. It's just a safe place for them. Now if you don't have power and light, they will bring power and light with them in the form of an inverter and LED lights. If you need help, they will help you first before they go to help other people. We try to limit people in safe havens to three days. If you need them out faster, you email me and say, hey, they're a-holes. I'll get them out within one hour. Okay? You want them to stay for five days, you can tell them they can stay for five days. But one, two, or three days, you set it, you tell us, we'll obey, we'll make it happen. If you want to be a safe haven, go to CAC team charlie alpha charlie team com and sign up to be a safe haven or make sure you mention it in the comments section. Click on join. Three, I need volunteers. You should have an SUV or a pickup truck, but it's not 100% mandatory. Well, even if you want to join and help in a Subaru, you can. You might drive into an area of need, drop off items, and then drive home. You might drive with one or two other people, stay at a safe haven for a few days, help in the area for a few days, and then come back. We like our people to work in pairs. One person drives, one person navigates and communicates. This is a disaster zone. People in pairs are safer. We track you by GPS in real time with Glimpse, and we talk to you all the time, and we direct you, we help you, we answer your questions, and we give you assignments and missions to accomplish. This is all on your phone. To volunteer for this, go to cacteam.com and click on Join and tell us what you can do. Four. We will probably need people with boats. With a hurricane stalling over a saturated, severe area that is expecting flooding, we need a TSP Navy. If you have a lightweight boat and you can respond for one day or multiple days, let me know, CACTeam.com. We will be calling fire departments in the area to say, hey, do you need some talented people with boats to follow you around to grab more bodies out of the water? We will be finding them in and then calling you and say, hey, can you go to this fire department and help them look for Captain so-and-so? Tell us what you can do at cacteam.com. Click on Join. Five, I need people who cannot deploy. I need people who cannot leave their living room. You're stuck at home. You have five cats, one dog, and that's it. I need your help with social media, posting photos on Instagram, Facebook, tweeting. I need a WordPress person to help our web guy and miracle worker Josh Sloan. CACteam.com. Click join, put this in the comments. I need multiple people, many people doing this because this is going to be on, be going on 24-7 for two weeks. Speaking of help, I need people who'll look up and call fire departments in the area that's going to be flooding and ask if they need people with boats. CACTeam.com, click to join. If you want to see photos and donate, go to CAC1234.com. And if you want to donate or join, go to CACTeam, Charlie, Charlie, AlphaCharlie, T-E-A-M dot com. If you are joining to help, or you want to listen to what we are doing, then download the Zello app on your phone. That is Z-E-L-L-O. That's it. Z-E-L-L-O. Z-E-L-L-O.com on your PC, Mac, Android, or iPhone, and join the group. Citizens assisting citizens. That is our blue force tracker. That is how we talk with everyone instantan- instantaneously. It worked miracles during the last two situations. What if you need help? There are TSP Facebook groups. In many of the states, especially the ones about to be affected, they all have a policy of mutual aid in that state. If you got a down tree, a big one, you don't know what to do, post it in the TSP Facebook group of your state that you need help. Show some photos. Ask who can help. My basement's flooded. My cat's up the tree. The tree's on the house. Now the cat's on the house. If you are a member of your TSP state group, Group, and you got a chainsaw and the ability to help or rescue the cat, got a ladder, go help if you can. You don't have to, but if you can, do it. Anyone can ask for help. Ask for help. Post it in the TSB Facebook group of your state. Ask anything. Help anywhere you can. Together, we all help each other and make it through this. I have put together for you a very quick list of TSP Facebook groups by state to make it easy for you and look them up. They are temporarily located at, uh, Jack, forgive me, it's 3 a.m. They are temporarily at, don't say it, (laughs) uh, they're temporarily located at TSP, One, two, three, four dot com. (laughs) That's all that's there, too, okay? Just TSP1234 for your Facebook group. Join. It's a lot of fun. I've been a big part of the Michigan TSP Facebook group. We've done some great stuff during storms to help each other. We're all there to help you. So go to your state and talk, share, post, ask and help. If you need help or don't know of a, you know, of a situation that needs CAC team help, you can also email me directly and let me know. My email is at cac1234.com. Have you ever seen someone on or something on TV in a disaster and said, I wish I could have helped. I'd have done that. Have you ever wanted to make a difference? Have you always said someday? Have you ever wanted to show your teenage kids what real charity is? Well, let them pull a person up to their neck in floodwater over the edge of a rescue boat and let them experience it firsthand. Charity is one-on-one, and it's personal. It's you giving a mother with baby with dirty diapers a box of clean, one, clean ones. It's you giving someone thirsty bottles of water, someone hungry food to eat, someone who does not know what to do, a helping hand and a calm, confident voice that says, I'm here to help. It will be Okay. CAC Team is one-on-one charity. Do you want some stories you'll tell your grandchildren in 20 to 30 years? Join us. Then come with me. Join with me. I'm telling you that you can do it, and we will make you able to do it. I want you. I need you. You can do this. Go to cacteam.com and click Join Us. This hurricane is going to be history like Andrew, Katrina, Harvey, and Marina. cac1234.com. TSP1234.com, and CACteam.com. Jack will have links on today's show page. Don't curse the darkness. Light a candle or light the candle someone who is darkness. Thank you. So um, definitely, we need
0: assistance uh, with this. You heard all the great ways that you can help. I actually have the Facebook book groups now on a page on the SurvivalPodcast.com. I don't know that I want TSP to be part of the one, two, three, four empire, but I'm I'm fine with it being there. But I just took all of Steve's links and dropped them on a page. It's under the About tab now. There's a link in the show notes. Uh, it's not organized. It doesn't look good. in any alphabetical. I don't have time to do it right now. But I, I like this idea, not just for CAC. Uh, so I'll maintain that list as uh, as I can when I get to uh, making it look prettier and whatever. and uh, We'll promote that from now on. I think that's a good thing. I think I'll make sure that uh, that page is always in the show notes for every show going forward. Why not? It's, it's a great idea and a great way for you guys to work together and coordinate. On another note, I know it's a long-ass way uh, from the Dallas area to the Carolinas, and I know that there is probably not going to be that many people that are going to drive through the Dallas-Fort Worth area on the way there, but there might be one or two. I have some stuff that was put together for Harvey, but by the time we got our hands on it, Harvey was winding down. We have it stored here and uh, it would be stuff that if anybody's coming through this area on the way to respond out there, uh, this could be a stopover for you for the evening or a quick stop, pick this stuff up and take it with you. I don't want to say what it is on the air, but it's stuff that would be very, very beneficial in this response. Uh, so there you go. Um, let's move along. I, I do want to talk about some happier stuff. TSP 2018 Fall Workshop uh, put out an announcement about it today, but let me give you the specifics in brief, ticket sales will, go, will, will open up for MSB members only for 48 hours, which I think is going to be a joke and it ain't going to happen, it ain't going to last 48 hours, uh, on the uh, 29th of September at 8 a.m. Central Standard Time. So at 8 a.m., I will push a link into the, the, the front page of the MSB, just like I always do for this, and that will be a hidden link that only members can find. You click that link, and you sign up for the workshop. That's like it's always been, but some of you are new, maybe never came before. I do this as a benefit for MSB members that support the show. This thing sells, sells out every year. It's generally sold out between you know two hours and two days, somewhere in there. Uh, we've had a couple times where there's been a ticket or two available on a third or fourth day, but not often. The, I think the record was something like 57 minutes or 56 minutes or something like that for one to sell out. I think this year we might break it. Um, maybe not, because I'm, we're finagling the numbers now, and I'm trying to do more people than I've ever done before. I don't want the event to get too large in body count, because then it loses some intimacy. Uh, but I want as many people to be able to come as possible. This is our 10-year celebration. Even though we did the party at the restaurant, this is kind of our 10-year anniversary at the farmstead. Um, the shot glasses we gave away at the, at the, uh, the restaurant uh, party that we did for our 10-year celebration, every student that comes here will get one of those shot glasses. I'm putting together a swag pack. This is going to be an optional thing you can buy if you want to. Uh, you'll just tick a box when you register. It says, yeah, I want one of those, and I'll pay for it when I get there. Um, it's going to be a, a, two more shot glasses, a, uh, a hip flask. I think it's a nine-ounce uh, you know, like whiskey flask. Uh, also with, and it's the ones we gave out to select people at the uh, restaurant party, and a uh, a cocktail shaker, so you know your big old you know shakers to shake and strain off and make drinks with, uh, branded with the TSP 10 year logo on it as well. So all of that together is going to be 50 bucks, and I'm going to do as many as people say they want, because uh, I have to pre-order all this stuff on that. With the way we're doing things this year, especially the Friday, I mean, the Friday is going to be like going to um, like a high-end restaurant party. Uh, masters of mixology, making drinks, amazing food. Um, I'm going to have a lot of money in it this time around on the front end. Um, I always do, but more than typical. So I'm going to require the deposit to be $150 versus $100 to help me take care of uh, all the things that I need to take care of to make this thing work, uh, that'll help with that. So that'll be $150 down, and then when you come to the workshop, $350 paid at the time you come to the workshop. So that's going to be the cost of it. The workshop dates themselves are going to be in November. Uh, that gives people plenty of time to make air flight, you know, air arrangements and stuff like that. Um, it's going to run Wednesday the 7th is when people get here. It's just kind of a reception social night. Uh usually have brats and, and sausages out. And that's about it, and drinks. Uh, and people just kind of set up their camp and stuff like that. And then our workshop dates are going to be the 8th, 9th, and 10th. That's Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Uh, most people that camp do stay over till Sunday morning because uh, they're not fit to do anything else <laughs> from adult beverages uh, and leave Sunday. And I will throw you off the pro If it's 11 a.m. and you're still here, I will push you off the property because by then I need to take a nap badly. This should be again the best one ever. I put out a really cool promo video for it today. You can find it at the website. Uh, And again, you know, mark your calendar, set your reminders, whatever. Uh, The 29th of September, 8 a.m. Central. That is Central, not Mountain, not Eastern, not Pacific, Central, 8 a.m. Central. I'm going to push that page live. And when it goes live, I know it's going to go fast. So if you want to come, Make sure you uh, are prepared to do it. I don't think it's the case that anybody that really wants to come won't be able to come. I do think if you wait till Sunday morning, you won't be coming. I do think it will sell out in a day. It may sell out a couple hours or an hour. Uh, But I think if you get up at 8 a.m., you pretty much are guaranteed a spot. So, uh, you know, and we always do what we can to accommodate a few more people, but I I don't know how many more we're going to be able to do. Anyway, really do hope to see uh, many of you uh, at the workshop this time around. And I'd like to see some new people, really. I I am kind of humbled by the number of people that have been, like, every year for five years and some people that have been to multiples, when we've done multiple in a individual year. Uh, I am, I'm humbled by the fact that some people have been to all but maybe one. Um, but I like seeing new people, too. So that's another reason I'm going to try to up the headcount. I don't want to turn down any alum but I'd like some people that maybe have never had a chance to be here before to come. I don't think you can understand it until you do. Um, I've been to a lot of events and workshops and things. There is something about this community, TSP community as a whole, that when we do something together, it's, a, it's an entirely different experience. So more info will be coming, but uh, you know, be there, be square type thing. Uh, next, I want to uh, talk to you about this article that, that I was sent. I think John in Moore Park, who sends me tons of cool stuff, uh, is the one that sent this, but I'm not sure if it was him. It's, it's called Signing Day Recognizes High School Seniors Starting Jobs, Not College. Let me read a little of the article to you, and I have a link in the show notes for you. Uh, the familiar high school rituals take place every spring. Athletes sign letters of intent to play for college programs as their coaches beam with pride. The photographs splash across social media. Other high school seniors wave college acceptance letters, and their names announced in school assemblies. But one school system in Virginia wanted to celebrate a different life-changing moment for the seniors who were starting careers right after graduation. In Henrico County, public school administrators held a ceremony in late March called Career and Technical Letter of Intent Signing Day. Quote, this is a celebration of students who are entering the workforce or post-secondary training with a plan, said Mark Beaton, uh, director of Henco Schools Department of Career and Technical Education, in a Facebook post, quote, they've chosen to maximize their high school opportunities for career training and industry certifications with an eye on becoming successful and financially secure much earlier in life. The students met with representatives of their future places of employment and both signed letters outlining what they would do before and during employment as well as what training and compensatory benefits the employer would provide and an estimate of the position's overall value. Quote, signing day is a way of recognizing their hard work and the value of the career preparation training they've received through Henrico School's Career and Technical Education Program, Beaton said. More than 5,000 students earned industry-based certification in Henrico County each year. That often means a job immediately upon graduation. For this first event, a dozen students were recognized as they sang waters of intent to work as apprentices or machinists for local and national companies. Beaton said the idea for recognition ceremony was rooted in a constant battle to show the importance of this type of training. There's more to the article you can read if you want to. Again, there's a link in the show notes. I want to talk a little bit about this in a different standpoint, something that I actually found to be kind of sad. Um, a few years ago, because he's a senior in college now, I went to my nephew uh, Andrew's graduation down in uh, Arlington actually mansfield and it's a it's a it's an upper end school district that he's in uh, and as you might ex- expect during the graduation ceremony, they would have someone come up and they would give them their diploma and they would say and it will be going to University of Texas, Texas State University, blah blah blah, and everybody applauded or will be joining the United States Army or the United States Air Force and one one girl was going to the Air Force Academy and applause right I don't think. I heard a single person announced as um, would be going on to a place of employment. Even something like joining their father in his you know, company or something like that. I don't think I heard anybody didn't have something said that involved a college or something like that. And I'm just betting that due to pure shame, that some of these students probably made up colleges that they thought they might eventually go to. Because you didn't want to have nothing said, and the the school probably wasn't going to say that you were going to go work for, you know, Concentra Health Services in their, you know, clerical department or something like that. And it's because we have stopped valuing work and careers that do not require college education. We have been so blinded by bullshit. And I'll save my other thoughts on on, on college degrees for a segment later in the show, but I wanted to start with the anchor here, and I also wanted to point out that we are reaching a point of this cycle shifting. And one of my laws of life is what? Everything is a cycle. If you want to know what's going to happen tomorrow, look at what happened yesterday. There's a constant repetition of cycle. that's why we study history. And... You can only devalue trades and things like computer programming that do not require degrees. In fact, degrees may be detrimental to You can only devalue those things for so long until you actually create a shortage of people to do them. And when you have a shortage of skill, you will have a rise in wages. And when jobs are left unfilled with good wages on them, even people that are supposedly overqualified because they have a degree in some bullshit will go learn a trade or certification as quickly as possible, take a coding boot camp or whatever, and go do that other job. And then that will become respected again as people start to realize that there is a a way forward in careers that do not involve a four-year academic degree. And, again, we'll leave it there for now. But I'm glad to see this school doing this. Now, unfortunately, I think that their motivation is more about going, look, what we do is important here in our our technical training in school. And look at us and make sure you fund us. I don't really think that the motivation is a larger thing of, hey, look, this is important everywhere. But it is. And we do need people that can do real-world work, machinery work, Welding work, technical work that's hard skills and what you think of as more soft skills like programming. And, again, I'll hold on that until we get to the uh, next segment that we cover that on. Next up, though, I have a question on bad apple juice. Yep, bad apple juice. So, um, Actually, I just pulled the list up. It was Jerry that sent me that particular article that we just discussed. This one here comes from Tom. Tom says, uh, for Jack, can you make sizer with left-out bad apple juice. I wanted to clear out a couple of Costco apple juice jugs for fermenting containers and figured I'd make sizer rather than drink it. However, I wanted to live one cap whole for shaking purposes and put an airlock in one of the other caps. This meant that I was going to make one sizer at a time. and only had one airlock, but I opened up both jugs. I needed both caps, one for shaking and one for the airlock. It didn't occur to me to refrigerate the open bottle that I'd opened, uh, but I hadn't fermented yet. So over the last week, that bottle has expanded and created lots of air explosion when opened, so it's, quote, going bad, end quote. Do I need to just toss the apple juice and add my compost heat for moisture? Can I add yeast in a week or so when I have my airlock back and make Sizer out of it without health or taste consequences? Tom, do not make Sizer out of that, Tom, because Sizer is uh, apple mead, and it's a highly valuable beverage, and you want to do a good job when you make it. Uh, your apple juice, though, is not going bad. Now, it may end up being pretty bad. We don't know. But your apple juice is turning into apple cider all by itself. When you opened it, you exposed it to natural airborne yeast and bacterium. And basically, you have what would amount to an open fermentation going on in that bottle. There's a couple things you could do with it. You could accept the fact it's probably going to suck and you could basically encourage it or just allow it on its own. It probably will turn into vinegar if you leave it open and maybe just put a a light uh, cloth over it with a string. Uh, you could also do that and let it ferment itself out to completion, and you will have done an open fermentation. It might taste really good. It might taste like ass. You are not going to know until you let it go through that cycle and find out. Or you could just dump it out. And in the future, you might realize that you, you don't need to do what you did again and you've learned from it. Uh, as far as only having one airlock, airlocks are cheap, dude. Get some more airlocks. And uh, I'll put a link in the show notes. I haven't picked some of these up, but uh, a guy sent me a link for rubber stoppers that fit perfectly into the one-gallon apple juice containers that we use as fermenters. So you don't have to drill out the, um, the, the lids anymore. You can leave them whole uh, and that way you have a lid for shaking, et cetera, and you can just put the stopper in there. So I'll, I'll, I'll find that email from that dude, and I'll put it in the show notes today. If I forget to, because I'm not going to stop recording right now and, and, and go do it, uh, if I forget that or at any time, guys, if I ever say I'll put a link for that and then I don't do it, let me know, man. I'll update the uh, the, the show notes for you. I, that does happen on occasion, and I, I try to do my best for you. So I'll, I'll try to remember to do that today. Um, our next one comes from uh, Gordon in Georgia. She says, uh, Jack, thanks for what you do. What's a good seed mix for a very large yard? I have about three acres that I cut in the yard around my homestead. It's not lawn, but I want it green for my wife, and I want it to be foraged for white-tailed deer. I live north of Atlanta in Zone 7B. The soil's pretty sorry, mostly hard red clay, and I'm trying to improve it. It gets sun most of the day, and it's rolling rather than flat. Eventually I want to have some goats for meat and get rid of the brush. Uh, I'm thinking of a mix including fescue, clover, dandelion, etc. What would you suggest? Thanks, Gordon. Uh, yes. I mean, fescue, clover, dandelion, etc. Yes, that's it. I mean, One of the things, and again, I have a lot of segments in this show that kind of tie in later to other segments. We have a question about weeds and gravel. And when I get there, I'll talk about how you have a tremendous bank of seeds sitting there already. And it's a matter of now you've created a disturbance. uh, Weather getting right and all that and getting enough rain, you're probably going to have a lot of stuff start to grow on its own. And that's the hardiest, toughest stuff you can get. I would look to a mix of clovers and sub-clovers uh, you can check out uh, hern seeds is a is a really great uh, site to check out and Hancock seeds those are both good places you can get you know a lot of seed um, if you have some means of disturbing the soil further uh like to disk it or something like that before you seed it your your rate of germination will be so much better um, if you took a old chain link gate. And 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 chained it to the back of a four wheeler and drug it around. You would do better. My concern with that is, you say you cut it, and I'm getting the feeling you didn't cut grass. You cut like trees, like it was like probably uh, early uh, tree standing. You know, like like regrowth, like early forest regrowth, and you use saplings and a lot of slash and stuff like that. You probably got all stumps. Three acres a hell of a lot to cut. So. Uh, you know, that may interfere with your ability to drag stuff around and what have you. Um, mulching the hell out of that brush is big job, but pay dividends depending on how much of it there is. I mean, it might even be worth renting one of those big old chipper shredders. If you do that, those things are expensive to rent. I would get all the brush in piles and sized and ready so that you can pull that thing onto your property and just start blowing it out. I'd have some kind of a party. Have a bunch of people over, throw some barbecue in the smoker, get people some beer, don't have them drinking beer till they're done throwing shit in the shredder so nobody throws their hand in the shredder, and, and get some kind of a community organization going on that. That would help. You really can't go out and cover three acres with straw. It's It's not doable. So my my issue with investing in a lot of seed if you don't have some way to disturb that soil a lot of it's going to go to the birds literally and figuratively as in dried up blown away etc and try to time seeding with rain events if you can seed like if you know you got like you're going to have like a 100% chance of rain on Saturday seeding on Thursday or Friday is a great idea and you might have that because I'm thinking you're going to get a bunch of rain from this this hurricane even though Georgia is probably going to escape, you know, any of the major wrath of it. Um, so you might want to kind of get on it. Uh, but you know you say you want uh, a food plot for white tail deer. Well then, you know, food plot mix is not a bad place to start. The thing is if you get anything to grow, other stuff will grow. But when if you're going to invest in seed, I would want to invest in Annuals that reliably reseed, and I would want to invest in perennials. And a small amount of seed everywhere has probably been a lot of seed in one spot. So spread it out, get a lot of mix in it. The annual that I would include that I think would be very beneficial to hard-panned clay soil is daikon radish. Um, You can look up tillage radish. It would be kind of the hardiest of the daikons, but any of them. And daikon is a great reseeding annual. It does self-propagate. I haven't planted any here in two years, and I still have it showing up here and there on occasion. Uh, so that would be another one that I that would be one that I would make sure you get in the mix. The thing is, don't make this hard. Everybody else a seed mix for this, a seed mix for that. Perennial black grasses and clover. That that's your base to just about anything. Um, Maybe alfalfa, maybe some medics and things like that. You you make a mix of that. That's that's what you're looking for. And you know, I think a lot of people, because we're not fans of conventional agriculture, turn away from some really good resources. Your local agricultural extensions, uh, your local feed stores and seed stores and stuff like that. Talk to those guys. Tell them what you're trying to accomplish. You know, it's not like everything sells GMO. If it's not corn or sugar beets or soy and some alfalfa now, unfortunately, it's not GMO anyway. So don't 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 be afraid of that stuff. And for the love of God, people that are uh, stuck up their ass about using organic seed, just don't, just don't. It don't pay more for it. It, it doesn't make any sense. That little seed is not going to be infected with jackdilly crap. And how you treat it after you plant it is way more important than where it came from. Just just my thoughts on that. So there we go, Gordon. I hope that helps you. Uh, but if you can give me some more information on what you're dealing with, maybe I can give you a little more help. I, I'm really not sure how to advise you, you know, to take care of disturbing that soil, what you have available to you, what the place looks like now, what you cut down. what's And the big thing, look at what's starting to grow on its own um, and, and identify those plants. And those plants will tell you a lot about the fertility, the compaction or uncompaction of soil and things like that as well, uh, and and help you maybe find some analogs. If certain things are growing really well and they're not the most desirable things, but there are things that are desirable that do well in the same environments, that's kind of another way to get on the right track with your seed. Uh, next up, I have a uh, one here from John John Imlore Park. Uh, Jack was right, but in a good re- way. Quote, there are worker shortages in industries all across the economy and companies saying, well, you know, maybe we don't need college graduates for this job or that job. Wall Street Journal Global Economics Editor John Hurst said in Fox Business Mornings with Maria, IBM says it's now looking for candidates with experience in non-traditional education, such as coding boot camps and industry-related vocational classes. So we're talking about good jobs here, folks. The title of this article is "More Companies Dropping Degree Requirement for New Hires," and uh, they have a video that goes with it. So, what I'm going to do, I'm just going to go ahead and play that video for you, so you can. It's basically a lady reading the article, and uh, that'll give you a good coverage of it. And I'll come back and tell you what I think it really means that they're not saying. No
2: diploma, no problem. More and more companies are scrapping college degree requirements for jobs. They're not saying you shouldn't seek higher education, but not having a degree won't be a barrier for you to work in certain jobs at their companies. Some of the 15 big companies saying no bachelor's degree is fine include Google, Nordstrom, Bank of America, Ernst & Young, IBM, and Apple. The changes are coming as job seekers as well as high school graduates consider whether college is worth the skyrocketing cost. Out of state public schools are charging an average of $23,000. And for the private colleges, tuition and fees are above $32,000.
1: There are worker shortages in industries all across the economy. And companies are
0: saying, well, you know, maybe we don't need college graduates for this job or that job.
2: IBM says it's now looking at candidates with experience in non-traditional education, such as coding boot camps or industry-related vocational classes. Those with a college degree shouldn't be alarmed, though. Ernst & Young says academic qualifications will remain an important consideration when assessing candidates as a whole.
0: The research shows unequivocally that people with college degrees fare much better in life.
2: Tracy Carrasco, Fox Business.
0: They got, they got to throw their little bullshit in there at the end, don't they? Oh, no, you still got to go to college. Now you, don't, now, you can get a job working for Google or IBM... But don't think that means, without a degree, but don't think that means don't go. Uh, This is, this is the, the the rats are beginning to jump off of the ship, but tell you to stay on. It is about what, what, what really is going on here. Now look, again, I'm not opposed to college. I'm opposed to college the way that it's being promoted today. And this is what they're not saying. In fact, they're trying to say the exact opposite of it. The value of a college degree has gone down exponentially while the cost thereof has gone up. And for a reason that no one seems to understand or want to understand. Too many people have degrees. Too many people have degrees. And there's too many degrees that don't really mean anything. You have a degree in English. Well, that's fine if you're going to teach English. Or you're going to go into some kind of a copywriting proofreading job or something. Other than that, what the hell do you have a degree in English for? And why did you choose that? Because you like English literature? Well, that's fine. That's a hell of a way to spend $20,000, 30000 a year for four or five years. It doesn't make any sense. Let me tell you what I think people should be doing before they go to college. What do we always say? Excel never lies. If, if you were a young person to me and said, I'm thinking about going to school for X, I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's electrical engineering or bitterness studies. Well, then what you should do is you should go out and find how long it takes a person on average with that degree to get their first job, what that first job looks like, how much it pays, and what average career progression looks like in that field of studies. And then you should build a model spreadsheet, and you should factor in the cost and time and money you're going to spend on that degree and determine what your return of investment timeline is. How long is it going to take you to where it was worth it, And how long is it going to take you to pay off any debt that was incurred for acquiring it? And if you don't know the answer to that, you're not smart enough to go to effing college. You understand that? If you're stupid enough, and most kids are stupid, okay? I was stupid when I was 17, too. If you're stupid enough to sign a contract to take out tens of thousands of dollars in income, or I'm sorry, in loans... While you have no income, for the promise of future income, without knowing the, st- the, the future income in question, you're stupid, and stupid people don't belong in college. Now, this is not really stupidity. It's stupid behavior due to ignorance, and in a lot of ways, this is ignorance that is clung to for comfort since everybody's supposed to go to college and a degree is priceless and an education is priceless and everybody knows the people with a degree do better we can't have facts getting in the way now if you did this little exercise I'm going to tell you that about 50% of people that go to college would not go of the other 50% half of those would choose different majors half of those would choose different majors because the minute that you put down and you look at, I'm going to spend over four years, thirty grand, of he, hundred twenty thousand dollars, and an entry level job with this degree pays forty thousand dollars, you're going to go. Well, wait a minute. You know how many people out there that are that are they're spending ten to thirty thousand dollars a year in, in, in debt to go to school? Can't tell you. What a job on average pays for a college graduate for their degree. And you parents let your kids do that? You're stupid too. And you don't have the ability to cling to the fact that we're all stupid when we're 17 and 18 years old. You're not, you've are not. you raised a 17 or an 18 year old and you won't do the math. If you are making a decision that involves more money than you make in a week, period, it should go in excel. Or at least it should go on the back of a napkin with a a pencil and figure it out. If you can't replace the money you're spending in a day of working, you're making a significant decision. If you're borrowing $120,000 and an entry-level job is $40,000, you're looking at, once you have that job, three years of 100% of your first year's wage to replace it. I'm not even saying you shouldn't do it. I'm saying you should consider that before you take out that kind of debt. And no one is doing it. And I'll tell you what, when two to three percent of people are doing something, I'm gonna go ahead with no one. Because on average, no one's doing this. And the people that I know that have you know have pursued educational careers and have done this exercise, none of them are kids. Except for Matt Powers' kids, and he damn near got fired from his job as a teacher for having them do that project. We are firing teachers for teaching kids to do what I just said to do. Evaluate a career based on the cost of attaining the education versus the income the career provides. We're, we're upset when somebody says to do that, and then we're lying to these kids and saying it guarantees that it's going to pay itself back. Well, if it, why would you be... Yeah, now, here's the thing they're not saying. This is the big lesson here. The value of these degrees because of this behavior is going down exponentially. Almost as fast as the cost goes up, the value goes down for a variety of reasons. Number one, we have a tremendous number of students that get degrees that really have no business ever being in college at all. They just don't belong there. They're not the kind of people that need a degree for the type of career that they're going to have. It's wasted money. We have a great deal of people that have degrees that aren't really relevant. But the problem that we really have is we have a surplus of degrees. Something is valuable because it's rare. The more you have of something, the less value that one unit of it thereof has. Gold is worth more than silver because there's more silver than gold in the world. Now, people talk about, well, degrees cost less money in the 1970s. Everything else did, too. Yes, they've done them. Why? Because the government got in the business of telling every child that should go to college and building a new fake industry. Higher education for everybody. That's a fake in We don't need that. The market would never have created that without government backing loans that people can't get out of even with bankruptcy. They'll garnish your Social Security check to pay it if you don't pay it off yourself. They created this fake world. They pumped all this money into it. They let anybody that wanted to borrow money borrow it. In the 70s, even the 80s, a degree was unique. This person has a degree in business management, and you said, "Wow, that's a thing." Because of all the people that we're looking at for this job, there's only a couple of those. Now, so does everyone else. So now it's become it went become it became a box that employers just ticked off. So it went from being a unique identifier because people that were quality for their 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 chosen career path went to college all the way up until about the 1970s. You were not an idiot and went and got a degree in 1975. You couldn't do it. You could be a dumbass, but you couldn't be a complete idiot. And I'd say in the 50s, you couldn't even be a dumbass. And because of that, most people that went to universities that weren't super wealthy, had some kind of a scholarship thing going on. And right now, millions and millions of dollars in scholarships go unclaimed every year because it's so easy to borrow money. This inflated the cost, and it inflated the quantity. And now what you have is a devalued piece of paper. It's almost like the, a generic degree today has hit junk bond status. It doesn't mean shit. And the reason these companies are beginning to hire people without them is they're finally accepting that. And what's happened is the guard in these companies, the old guard, are all people that came up in this system. of Everybody that was you know eligible to move into higher positions had a degree, and then it became everything. And they, most of these people have degrees. And if you have a degree, you, you believe that it's valuable. And if you had a degree in 1975, 1985, 1990, you know that it was valuable. So you continue to assign value to something even if his, his value declines. But when it comes to the bottom line and you can't find a person to do this job and there's there's a 17-year-old kid over there that went through a coding camp that can do it, well, let's give that kid 80 grand and a salary. Let's get his ass in here and get him to work. And if he doesn't work out, we'll fire him. And you, you take a gamble and you do it and you go, wow. Wow, this guy's way more va- motivated than these people with a master's degree in bitterness studies. And you're seeing that cycle turn now. The value of a college degree, if it is not specific and germane to a, an individual career path that's high paid, has become about as valuable as a high school diploma. So, I'm not saying not to go to college. That's not, and I know I'm going to get it. You yeah, went to college and yeah, yeah. well, then you shouldn't be stupid if you went to college and it would have paid off for you. You should understand the words coming out of my mouth and into this microphone. If you're going to advise a young person to go to college today and you're going to do it without a a clear, concise financial analysis of the cost and time commitment versus the career's return, you are doing them a huge disservice. There are jobs out there that pay really well that require college degrees. There are jobs out there where a college degree is an extreme advantage. If you're not in one of those two places, find another path. Find another path. And if you're going to do anything, let's start out with junior college. The credits transfer just fine. You know? Not all of them. Well, don't take those, dummy. You're supposed to be smart enough to go to college. You should be able to figure out how to pick out transferable credits that will transfer to public education institutions within your state. If you can't do that, you don't belong in college. And this is the real problem. I was, I was flabbergasted when my son was, was looking at going to UTA. And I started looking at the entrance requirements. And as your class rank got lower, the scores you had to have on your ACTs or SATs to get in got lower too. The dumber you were, the more they lowered the standard for admission for you if you if you're not as smart, we'll just lower the standards so you can get in. And you know why? Why wouldn't the school do that? If they have the ability to have 40,000 students on this campus, doesn't it benefit them not to have 39,500 when every damn student out there can get a loan and pay You see how it works? This is basic business. The educational institutions are, are robbing these kids blind because they've been the, the kids have been brainwashed for multiple generations now to believe that there's no Wrong, ever in taking out money to go to college it's all worth it they're signing themselves into institutionalized indentured servitude if not full on slavery in return for an education whose value has declined over the decades and I really believe that and again it doesn't mean that there ain't a good option but my god can't you see the turning here can't you see it the cycle is cycling that's what cycles do We have primed this pump of nonsense that every person that comes out of high school should go to four years of schooling before they get any experience at anything to be valuable. And you wonder why no one wants to run an excavator anymore. There's a lot of money in being good at running an excavator. Especially if you can become an operator, you can make some money, you can save some money, you can buy your own pieces of equipment, contract yourself out, eventually form a company, and have your own employees your own excavation company. Now, that person might do very well to have some education in business management and maybe even to take some college courses in it as they progress. They don't need a degree for that, though. They don't need a couple of years in French literature studies to go along with it to balance out and making them a whole effing person. No, they need to know how to, how to run a ledger. They need to know how to manage accounts payable and accounts receivable. They need to know what to look for in an accountant so that they have a good one doing that work for them. They don't need a degree for that. And they may or may not need... You know, college-level education on some piece or format of that. But if a person wants to be a computer programmer today or a designer or something like that, there are so much better pathways in college. Pick the right one and run the freaking financial analysis. If you won't run, you folks that are listening to me that have kids that are getting about that age, if you won't do what I said, if you won't do what I said, you know the answer will be wrong for them. You're afraid of the answer, and you're going to walk them into that debt anyway. That is wrong. Don't be afraid of the answer. The truth is not the problem. The, 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 the unwillingness to look at the truth and make decisions based on it, that's the problem that we have here today. That's what they're not saying. And this cycle is, is reaching a point where it's going to, this is how all these things do. They start out little crumbs, little crumbs, little crumbs, and then they go downhill like a boulder. And the boulder is about to get off that kind of little plateau with a very small pitch, like 1%, and it's just slowly kind of trickling forward, and it's about to hit, you know, that 20% grade. You watch what happens then. Let's take another one. Another one from John here, just a a real quick email, and it says, uh, idea sous vide cooker to heat water around a pan for cheese making. Precise temperature control. Using two pots easily makes a water jacket. Formerly the other John in West Virginia, now in Ohio. Uh, Absolutely. So, that's, I just want to throw this out here. Like, what what couldn't you do with a sous vide cooker that involves precise temperature control? You guys that are uh, brewers and you want to do an all mash brew, obviously you don't want to stick your sous vide cooker in your mash. That's going to ruin it, right? But if you had a water jacket type situation that John's following me with double pots, you put that cooker in there and you set it to you know whatever temperature you want to hold your mash at, guess what? It's staying there perfectly. Yogurt, 110 degrees. How easy is that? Take your jar, send them in a little thing of water, and then you can go straight into that water. with. So, I mean, there's all kinds of different things we could do, and I just wanted to kind of point that out as uh, another option for those of you that have sous vide precision cookers. I don't like unitaskers. Well, number one way to make something not a unitasker is to find other things to do with it, even if it seems like a unitasker. Um, Next one comes from Eli. And I'm very grateful to Eli because, honestly, I didn't have time to dig into this. And this is about that QAnon email or call that I got Friday last week where, you know, this guy said, you're on the right side of history, back QAnon, make it available to your audience. And I said, you know, I don't want to just completely ad hominem attack this. But there were some things that really looked wrong to me, including the source being 4chan, 8chan forums, etc. And uh, if somebody could send me information that would prove me wrong, fine. But I I thought this whole QAnon thing was nothing but just very good trolling and done for their own amusement and uh, preying on people that believe in conspiracy theories. I got one email from a guy. I, don't, I deleted it, but it was basically like, you know, I think you need to look at this deeper. And Q moved over to 8chan, which is less adolescent than 4chan. It all sounds pretty adolescent to me. And, but I like this other guy even better, and here's his blog, and it's more concise and to the point. And so I go to the blog, and like, the second thing posted there is the lies Masons tell. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. I just, I've just i known enough people in my life that are part of the Masonic Brotherhood to know that it's a fraternity of men that get together and discuss things. But they ain't running the world, and they ain't changing the temperature of the water in your pool. And when you go into conspiracy theory with me, again, I believe in conspiracy. But generally, I don't believe in most conspiracy theories. And when somebody tells me about a conspiracy theory, my first question is, can you tell me a conspiracy theory you don't believe? And if they don't have any, I'm done. Because it can't all be true, right? So anyway, um, this guy emailed me, and I really appreciate his take on this. So, and, and it really helped me understand what's going on here and how this is propagating itself from this QAnon crap. Uh, his, his name is Eli, and he says, Hi Jack, thank you for shutting down the QAnon call. You are 110% 10% correct on your read of the whole situation. Here's a bit of backstory and some, to color some of the things surrounding this. I graduated high school in 2001, so I was a teenager on the very, very early days of the internet, back when places like 4chan and the Something Awful forums were just forming out of the primordial online soup. Both places were on pretty even playing field and even had sort of an online rivalry in the early thousands. Um... Although, for whatever reason, it seemed that 4chan won at piercing the cultural lexicon to become oddly mainstream, even though they were both pretty similar. The entire original purpose of places was to troll people into thinking stupid things for the Luts, which is laughs. For instance, 4chan was almost entirely responsible for making that stupid chocolate rain video go viral back in the day. It was a lot of fun being part of this community, uh, as most of the things were just incredibly silly. It was really funny when the 4chan hive mind managed to pull off something that people believed to be true. In the good old days, these were always very innocuous, often fairly absurd things. I sort of fell out of following 4chan and something awful when I grew up a bit more and got busy with my life. But in the meantime, 4chan has gone through this super terrifying metamorphosis where they aren't just doing silly trolls, they're preying on uh, delvishness in this country and how willing people are to engage or believe in whatever outrageous theory that gets floated, uh, whether it's pedophiles in pizza places or whatever else. The traction Q anon is getting is honestly really scares me. As whoever is behind it has realized all they need to do is provide these tiny, incredibly vague snippets, referred to as crumbs, And all the people following this referred to as bakers just fill in the blanks. It reminds me of reading headlines in the Weekly World News tabloid about Nostradamus predicted 9-11 because he said earth-shaking flames from the world's center roar and make the earth around the new city quiver. Um, Could that apply to 9-11? Sure, but those passages could also apply to anything else you wanted to theorize, including recent volcanic eruptions in Hawaii. QAnon is no different. Here's the latest crumb from Q. The plan, interorganizational collaboration, is being carried out by the highest level former and current positions, F and D FISA equals start Q. That's a real that's what I saw when I looked at these things. Shit like that. I'm like, I don't have time for this. This is not important enough for me, so let somebody tell me. Thank you, Eli. But here's what happens next. What happens next is all these QAnon people will try to figure out what this means. I.e., does F and D mean foreign and domestic? Does it mean FBI and Department of Justice? All of these things are intentionally written so that when something happens involving an F and a D, people can be like, holy cow, Q called it. Another recent crumb follows. Desperate people do desperate things. It's during this period of time that surveillance pays off. When does a bird sing Q? And something will happen and in the next couple of weeks. The people who follow QAnon's stuff will come up with ways to explain why it makes sense with theories like Trump tweeted blank. Twitter's logo is a bird. It's a bird saying Q knew all along. It's seriously absurd stuff. No difference than Nostradamus vs. I'd maybe think about buying into this if Q spoke in complete sentences without code and deliberately said what was going to happen, and it did. That's not how the troll works, though. It has been these vague things, so people are so tied up in conspiracy, they can just fill in the blanks. There's no validity to any of it, and the number of people who don't realize this is just a bunch of 4chan kids fucking with them. (laughs) Terrifies me. Anyway, I hope this sheds some light on all of this. It comes down to people just believe what they want to believe, and will connect incredibly crazy dots to do so, providing themselves some sort of proof in those beliefs. Scary stuff, man. Have a good one, Eli. Eli, thank you. I don't have to ever touch this again now. That makes perfect sense. And now all of the stupidity that I saw when I looked at this thing make perfect sense. Now the connections I initially made back to the 4chan, 8chan, etc. forums makes perfect sense. Now the fact that this is all trolling makes perfect sense. Now the fact that this is all a steaming pile of bullshit makes perfect sense. Thank you. I'm done. I'm done. If you email me about this subject again, it will go into the deleted items folder and then be expelled from my hard drive. I, and it will go off into the nether of nothingness. I have no desire ever again to look at, consider, hear anything to do with this stupidity. This makes perfect sense to me. Absolute, 100% perfect sense. And a couple of you I heard, from, well, he did nail this and that, and I don't think he's right about it. There's your answer. Because it was made to fit. And all of the predictions are actually the predictions of a bunch of idiots being manipulated, and if you make enough predictions, some of them will come true. A prediction that comes true is, is that's valid is when you can say... This is what's going to happen in this relative timeline this way, and then it happens. And then you can judge that person as having a pretty good ability at fore- forethought. Right? This guy is bullshit. It's done. I'm done. I don't want to hear it ever again. I'm done. And if you're going to write me an email, you don't know how evil the Masons are. And they really are. I'm not reading that either. I just, I, I don't have time for it. I know that many powerful people were Masons. I also know many powerful people bought Fords. I also know that many power. I mean, one guy on Facebook recently was talking about how football was created by the Masons and its secret societies, and it's just a a plot to distract people. And he showed a guy calling touchdown. And he said, "This is the masonic Masonic symbol for help," and that's a fact, and you can't change it. So since it's a fact, it's true. And since it's true, my conclusions are true. You can't disprove that that's not the Masonic symbol for help. Well, I said it's also the symbol for "Don't shoot me." It also is a symbol for, hey, over here. I mean, putting your two hands up, and there's a lot of ways. If you move your hands back and forth when you do that, instead of just hold them up there, it's basically like the way you tell a plane to come forward. I mean, you know, like this kind of shit. You can make a statement that's true, but it's still bullshit, and that's that's what I get out of this. Also, I'm a little more useful. Uh, Mark emailed me and said, hey, Jack, the Charger... You've recommended is uh, unavailable. I waited a few. I wanted wait a few days too long to buy it. Wait until it comes back, or is there another one that you would recommend that's just as good? Um, the PowerX MHC 800S is the charger that Stephen Harris and I have recommended for ever and a day. As happens, products either go out of stock, or they just morph into something else, or companies stop stop making them, uh, what have you. And so I've I've looked to find something that has good reviews. I could buy one and test it out, and I have. And this will be coming around as an item of the day very soon, but i go ahead and, since the question came in about it, uh, tell you now. Um, What I look for is, well, why did we like the other one? I don't know if it's coming back, but the PowerX, why did we like it? Well, the biggest things we liked about it is it worked, it didn't ruin batteries, and it didn't charge them in pairs. You can charge one battery in it. A lot of these multi-battery chargers, they charge in pairs. So if it's an eight-thing charger, you can charge two, four, six, or all eight at once. But since they charge in pairs, if those two batteries are in different states of discharge, it has some problems and it leads to issues. And, and also maybe you just want to charge one battery and you want them all. So this one that I happen to recommend does that. It's If you check it on FakeSpot, it's got good grades. Uh, it's only got a few reviews, but it's got solid reviews. And I, again, I've used it; it works. I like it. Would I choose it over the Power X? No, but Power X isn't available. It's uh, it's made by G- J E, and it is the T G X eight bay slot smart battery charger for double A's and triple A batteries. Um, it's again, it works. It's 26 bucks. Um, if you don't have a recharger for double A's and triple A's, and you're not using rechargeable double A's and triple A's, you're wrong. I'm sorry, but you are. Um, it's the best source of backup power. You can charge them with an inverter in your car, a cheap, you know, 20 dollar plug into the cigarette lighter inverter. Uh, and you can charge batteries for just days and days and days and days and days uh, during an outage with you know idling your car once in a while. And uh, you, But the bigger thing is you can do what I always say, better life, times get tough even if they don't. Use them in your remote controls for your TV, set your kids' video games and all that stuff. That way you're familiar with them, you're constantly using them when a set is discharged Instead of putting new batteries in, you just take them out. You drop them in the charger. You pull new batteries out put them into you, your device. If you do that, again, you'll be familiar with the equipment. The kids will be familiar with the equipment. Everybody can use it. Uh, it, it. It saves you money long term. It pays for itself over time. And then it's there for you in a disaster. So... If anybody knows a, if you think you know a better one that's available, let me know. I like this one. I bought it. I've used it. Again, it's the TGX 8 bay uh, battery charger. I have a link in the show notes for it today. And I, I'm, I'm impressed with how well it's worked up to this point for me anyway. So with that, let's go on to another one. Uh, the next one I have is from Matthew. Matthew says, I'm looking for a cheap, effective way to kill weeds in my gravel. Been in our homestead in North Ohio for over a year and been working our butts off building soil. Nature is trying to humble me by growing weeds in the gravel section of my driveway better than half the garden did this year. I'd like to avoid Roundup and the like. I've been using a homemade mix of vinegar, salt, and soap. Seems to do the job. It needs a lot of spraying. I've seen these weed torches you can hook up to a propane tank. Have no experience with them. Any tips would be appreciated. Thanks, Matthew. Okay. Um, First of all, let's talk about how you could make this stop, sort of. Um, You could do something like get a pond liner, rake up all the gravel, put the pond liner down, and then put the gravel on top of the pond liner. And it'll work for a while. And eventually you'll have enough soil built in the gravel itself that you'll have stuff growing in the gravel, and eventually the liner will fail. And you'll actually have even more resilient weeds because... They will now have roots down underneath the liner, creating a mulch-like environment, which is what's going on right now. It's also the case that there's a tremendous number of seed in any square foot of ground, and different seeds have different triggers. Some seed, if you if you take, let's say, four square feet of ground, and that are right next to each other, and you add no seeds to them at all, and on one of them you take one of those torches you're talking about, and you just you just incinerate that square foot. Till it's just bare. You burn everything. Burn it. Okay, fine. Take another uh, square foot right next to it, and you get a compactor, and you just pack the hell out of that ground. You make it like a rock. Okay. You take another square foot of that ground. You take a pitchfork in there, and you disturb the soil, and you loosen the soil. You come back in a few weeks. All three of those areas that you've done something to will have new growth. And even though they're sitting right next to each other and they all have the same season, it'll be mostly different things growing. Some seeds are triggered by fire. Some seeds are triggered by compaction. Some are seeds are triggered by loose soil and disturbance. That's their environment that they grow best in. And they are nature's reparative mechanisms. There's, something's gone on. There's been a disturbance. Whether it's fire, compaction, loosening, doesn't matter. It's been a disturbance. Tree fell, uprooted, whatever. It creates this this response from nature. You have gravel <clears throat> is a really great thing for capturing little flakes of organic matter. think to put gravel down, none's going to grow there. You want to grow shit? Cover it with gravel. Come back in a couple of years, you won't see any gravel at all. It's amazing. And it also then creates a permanent mulch layer that even though gravel is pretty hot in the sun, it's kind of cool at the bottom side of it. And then all the little creepy crawlies go in there and start disturbing the soil underneath. And all the little seeds that are down there, as they start loosening things up and making it friable, all of a sudden poop, poop, pop, pop, pop starts coming up. Then you drive your car over it. Some of those areas are compacted and those things get triggered and come up. So what's your solution? If you want a gravel driveway, you're going to have to constantly deal with this. There's a couple ways you can deal with it. The first way I'm going to have people just lose their minds over this, but I despise Roundup as it's used in our agricultural system. It is not in of itself the devil. It would be it, it, when we when you make anything and everything Roundup bad. It's a lot like saying that all guns are bad. Okay. However, I think Roundup can do a lot more damage than guns in general, um, and it's a lot easier to abuse and overuse. But if you sprayed just your driveway with Roundup twice a year, you'll probably have no real impact on the rest of your property, and you'll make your life a little bit easier. If you get a weed torch, you're going to have to use it every couple weeks. This is all there is to it. Now, if the driveway's not that long it might be a totally valid way to handle things. You know, cuz you're not doing it in a garden or something you have to worry about hitting other things. You just walk through there and and eventually, you know, the ground will expend most of its seed bank and um you'll have less weeds, but you'll still have weeds. And if you ever stop, even if there was no seed at all left under the gravel, which is almost impossible. Seeds survive so long in nature that we don't realize. Again, the wind will blow, little bits of duff and things will land in your gravel and work its way beneath there, and little creepy crawlies will move around and birds will take a crap on it, and next thing you know, things will grow again. So, this is the fact. Gravel does not make a good driveway. It just doesn't. It's okay. I have a gravel driveway, but the ground is so compacted, almost nothing grows there. And we get such hot, baking summers; it does pretty well. But I have the gravel there to more more to keep the ground from becoming muddy than I do to keep things from growing there. If you want a driveway that stuff doesn't grow in, the best solution is either you know blacktop, macadam, or concrete. And otherwise, maybe you're just going to have some weeds grow in your driveway. Because the only other thing is an herbicide, and even that has to be maintained. The 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 half-life of of Roundup, glyphosate is the actual chemical, is only about six months. Of all of the different icky-gick that they spray as herbicides, uh, Roundup's actually one of the least innocuous and, and, and fastest to recover. It doesn't mean it's good or safe or belongs in your food, but, you know, I'll put it this way. Before we had GM crops, and before we, you know... Modified soybeans, so you could spray the Roundup directly onto it. Um, farmers used Roundup, and there was almost no trace of it in our food supply, because they couldn't spray it on the food because it killed the food. But they would use it to control ditch lines and stuff like that. I've seen people I have tremendous respect for, like Mark Shepard, spot app, apply Roundup in the establishment phase of a pasture system. To, to knock back competing vegetation and get the new plants off to a start. Of course, then they never use it again. So I wouldn't do it. You know what I would do? I would just cut the weeds as they come up. I would just consider it part of my lawn. I would just have the gravel there as something to drive on and keep the place from getting muddy, knowing that I'm probably going to have to every couple of years bring a little bit more gravel in as it gets worked into the dirt. But there's gonna be stuff grow there. I'm not gonna to try to maintain a gravel driveway the way I would maintain a, a concrete driveway. But if you want to, really the only way to do it without a lot of work is gonna be something like a Roundup product. I don't like it, but, you know, is this driveway 150 feet or is it 15 feet? If it's 15 feet, that kind of spot application of an herbicide really ain't going to have nothing to do or any kind of problem. If you got 150 feet of this thing, like, like a, like a little private road running through your property and you're spraying all of that. And every time there's a rain event, it's creating runoff and acting like a swell and blah. blah, blah. Yeah. I, I don't know that I'd be comfortable with it, but if it's uh something kind of like I'm seeing in my head, yeah, if you really, really want to, that's what I would do or pave it or accept the fact that weeds grow in gravel. Now, Back to the pasture question, how this ties in. See, if this fellow can't keep weeds from growing in his gravel driveway, nature will fix things if we just put the situation right. So what's right here? There's a trigger. There's a trigger. The trigger is the, the, the subsoil disturbance by microorganisms and the, um, the mulch effect of the gravel. So if we go into a place like the first guy described and we just disturb and loosen the soil, I would put seed down to, to favor the things I want. But even if we just do that, it's, stuff's going to start growing. Stuff's going to start growing. Just if we don't maintain it, then we're going to get secession. We're going to go right back to a woodlot. We're going to get perennial, woody, stem, shrubs, and herbaceous layers that are going to success into trees. And you're going to be right back to all the work you did to clear it out going away. So you do have to think about guiding it and maintaining it more than what to plan. Um, the last question is kind of a complicated one. Um comes from Weston. Weston says, and I almost wrote this off, and I thought, no, I need to hear him out. Um, and I'm glad I did. Weston's a good question, thought-provoking. Hi Jack. can you tell me your thoughts on the non-aggression principle and how it relates to things you take in via your eyes and ears? Before I go forward, the non-aggression principle is a cornerstone to libertarianism and anarchism, for those that don't know, that basically says I should not use force or aggression or coercion on anyone unless it's in defense. I can punch you in the face, but only if you're trying to punch me in the face. I can shoot you, but only if you're seriously risking my life in some way or somebody else's life. That, That Not only should I not use aggression and force, but... Whatever is you should be appropriate for the situation. If you take a swing at me and I hit you and you go to the ground and you're no longer a threat to me, I don't get on you, pin your shoulders down with my knees and start grounding and pounding you. That's an inappropriate response. That's the basics of it. We don't use force unless we're aggressed upon. And then if we are aggressed upon, we only use sufficient force to counter the aggression we're experiencing. Right? So when you say that you take in for your eyes and your ears, if you don't like something, don't look at it. You don't like hearing something, don't listen to it. But here's where he's coming from, and I think Wes makes a good point here. To start off, I'm a big proponent of personal liberty and also the concept, your right to swing your fist ends at my nose. However, I struggle with how to define boundaries of personal liberty when it comes to information and images that are transmitted visually that I and my family may want to avoid. Generally, if there's something going on we don't want to see or hear, we simply avoid going there, looking at it or listening to it, assuming we know about it ahead of time. If there's some political or social rally we don't agree with, we simply don't go there. For example, if I don't want my daughter to be exposed to adult language in a podcast, I simply don't listen to it with her. Very, very good, Wes. Glad you understand that. Uh, but there is a growing trend in our society where people are starting to broadcast, sometimes with force, their lifestyles and viewpoints with T-shirts, bumper stickers, signs, billboards, or public demonstrations. These are things that you don't get a warning about. You don't know if it's something you don't want to see until after you've seen it. For example, the other day I had to have an awkward conversation with my daughter as to why someone might willfully call themselves a derogatory slur, usually aimed at a woman after she accidentally read a bumper sticker that said, baby up in this bitch, instead of the usual baby on board. Uh, or as another example, there was a case a couple years ago where someone had put up a very graphic torture scene in their lawn as a Halloween decoration right up the street from a school. On one hand, it's their property and should be able to do whatever they want, but what about the people who can't unsee that now? I want people to have the freedom to express themselves in any way they want, even if I don't agree with it, and there's a danger of letting personally... Uh, offended dictate our lives, but it seems like there's boundaries that are not well defined and are constantly getting pushed back and forth. So, what are some solid principles we should use to define where someone has crossed the line, fist nose, when it comes to this kind of things, Wes? Okay, if it doesn't physically harm you in some way, they have it crossed the line, even if you don't like it, no matter how much you don't like it, no matter how offensive you think it is. Because it's the only answer that can re- actually be defended from the point of non-aggression as well. And here's what I mean by that. So you didn't like the fact this lady had a bumper sticker that said, baby, up in this bitch. And I have to question the kind of mentality that leads to a person doing that. And you might have said that the conversation with your daughter was uncomfortable. Actually, I think it was an amazing teaching opportunity. Because your, your daughter is going to deal with people like that in the world. It's better that she know they exist and what's wrong with them than not. So what your daughter learned is to not respect people that are that disrespectful. And honestly, if she meets someone in the future notices that's on her bumper of her car, to not really take her opinions as being very valid and go somewhere else for your information and recommendations. Not to trust the stupid with important things. Okay? Kind of fits back to the government being incompetent, right? Um, So I don't think that was that big of a a devastating blow to your daughter's psyche, because let's say that we say, well, that 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 is kind of a, a, a thing that shouldn't be done. Okay, well, there's a lot of people that say the current president is a racist. So now I'm in my car with my daughter, and I'm a die in the wool believer in the leftist ideology of progressivism. And I actually believe that Donald Trump is the reincarnated ghost of Adolf Hitler and the KKK all wrapped up together in one giant, evil, killing machine. And I've taught my child that Donald Trump is a racist because I'm retarded. And uh, then I'm driving along with my child, who I've taught to be as retarded as I am, and she sees you in front of me, and you have a bumper sticker that says MAGA, Make America Great Again, Support Trump, whatever, on it. And now I have to have an unconver- uncomfortable conversation to explain to her why some of her fellow countrymen are, are, are racist Nazis. And that's offensive to me. And I, I shouldn't have to explain that to my young daughter, so it's your fault, so you should take your bumper sticker off. Now, so that people don't think I'm being partisan here, um, there were a lot of people that claimed that Barack Obama was a Muslim. And I saw a thing today that said he took his oath of office on the Koran because the person could not be bothered to take 13 seconds to Google it and find out. That was a lie. Never happened. Um so there were people that would then teach their children that the president is a Muslim and Muslims are bad and want to kill everybody and so when you see the support of Obama bumper sticker that same objection I should have to explain to my children uh, why some of their fellow countrymen uh, hate America and are Muslim sympathizers that want us all to die under Sharia law because I can choose to be offended by anything I can choose to be offended by anything And I can choose to not be offended by anything. And you say some things are just outright offensive. If they don't actually do anything, then you're only offended because you've chosen to be offended. Another one of these things that people went hysterical with again recently on Facebook. There's this organization, they built this satanic looking goat statue thing with a pentagram or whatever. And I think the people behind it don't really think it's anything other than a stupid statue. And... In places where they've made decisions like, you know, we can have the Ten Commandments in front of the courthouse as a means of protest, this this group will take this Satan statue and they'll file for a permit and they'll say, we have a right to use this public place to display our Satan statue. And it's our freedom of religion and we've applied for a permit and we're going to do this for a day. So then someone will take a picture of it and put up on Facebook that they've erected a satanic statue at the courthouse or capital Little Rock, Arkansas, for instance, was where I think it was done most recently. And, of course, the people will look at that and say, oh, my God, Satan's taking over the world or something. And they actually think, because they don't do any research, that that statue was actually erected by the city or the state and is standing there permanently. They don't realize that it's a a, a move-around stupid statue that's used to troll you. And the people offended by it do far more to spread the message of that statue than the people who built it and paid for it and put it there. Because almost no one cares until everybody cares and everybody starts sending pictures around to prove that there's Satanists taking over America or something like that. Well, I think that that statue does no harm. I think that statue is less offensive to me than the majority of statues displayed out in front of a courthouse because no matter what those statues represent including things that I definitely agree with, all those statues were paid for with stolen money. And I'm more offended at the fact that you stole money to erect a monument than I am at somebody took their own money and private contributions to make a stupid statue that they used to troll you with. Do you think that person should not be able to put that statue there? It offends lots of people. They find it very offensive. I'm sure the same people would be offended if they erected a a monument to the Muslim faith, but those same people would be totally okay with it being a monument to the Christian faith. I'm again offended because you've stolen money to do that with. I think that Muslims should pay for Muslim shrines and statues and historical references or whatever else they want on land that they also paid for. And that Christians should do the same thing, and atheists, if they want something, should pay. I think people should pay for their own stuff. But if you're going to start pulling at the concept that that thing that I'm looking at is offensive and I didn't get basically you're saying what the college students are saying you, you want a trigger warning you want somebody to tell you that you might be offended before you see it and you don't want to have to have difficult conversations with your children well and I don't mean to pick on you Wes I'm really talking to everybody in this audience in, in this this is why I chose it for the last uh, segment today it's a fantastic segment If you don't have those difficult conversations with your children, who's going to? Who's going to? Because you didn't do your spreadsheet and you send your kid off to some liberal arts school for a degree in bitterness stories, some professor? Who's going to present it in a very collectivist, statist way that she'll believe because you never had the conversation with her about why people behave certain ways? And, well, they're too young for it. No, they're not. No, they're not. I guarantee you that my 7-year-old grandson probably wouldn't even question that bumper sticker. He wouldn't even really care. It wouldn't make sense to him. He might be at the point where he would, but you know what? The point where he says, why is that there? What is that? What does that mean? Children ask questions when they're ready for the answers. Uh, Another problem we have as parents is we look at children as not quite full human beings. You know, I mean, this is one of the things that drives me crazy with women and dressing up babies and like handing it around like it's a thing and fighting over who gets to hold it. That is a that is a miniature human being that is a fully formed human being They deserve certain respect and dignity. And that's your child. And as your child grows and they observe what's around them and they see something disturbing, then you discuss it with them. And you might say, well, what if, what if that thing is, you know, somebody murdering somebody? Well, murder is illegal. And and even in an anarchy, I'm sure that murder would incur wrath and punishment. And this is the other side of things. Well, what, what is the check on people's limits? If you go far enough, you become ostracized by society. The biggest policing action in society is everybody else's opinion of you. That if you go far enough outside of what is considered to be decent behavior, you have no one that wants to be part of your life anymore. And many of these things are highly self-correcting. It is not just laws that prevent behavior that is truly stupid, foolish, ignorant, or hateful. It is the policing of community through how you are perceived and where you are welcomed. And what people are willing to do to help you. And your kids are going to see things you prefer them not to see. You are going to see things you prefer not to see. You are going to be offended. In the, in the words of a famous British comedian, I can't remember his name, do you know what happens when you're offended? Nothing. You don't, like they said something in his bit like, you know, I don't wake up in the morning and like, I was offended and then I got leprosy. In the end... The non-aggression principle applies to acts of actual aggression, not things you don't want to see, because what you want to see and what's offensive is subjective. You did a good job of setting the bar fairly high, but there are people that would set that bar a lot lower, and they might be able to build a pretty good case for it. You can't have freedom and liberty for people to express themselves and not be offended. It's not going to happen. We shouldn't even try Those are my thoughts on the matter. With that, we've wrapped up another episode of the Survival Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed today's show. And if you do enjoy the show and you want to support us, the painless way to do that is do your online shopping at tspaz.com. T-S-P-A-Z.com. Tspaz.com. If you go there, you'll see all the reviews of products that I've done on Amazon. You can get over and see their deals of the day, stuff like that. But as long as you shop there first, you help support the show and the work that we do. Um, But I do have reviews for you, and... I have a product today. It's just a simple little product, um, and it's toenail clippers made by a company called Tweezerman. And, you know, this is not a, a huge survival product, but it is a, a lifestyle product. They're less than 5 bucks a set. And I am really big on getting good value. And I'll tell you one of the places that value is not evident is in toenail and fingernail clippers. Um, they are just, in general, junk. I've even had a pair break, like I'm cutting a toenail, and I'm not some gross giant yellow toenail, like a normal toenail, and like the metal clipper just broke, like shattered. Um, I look for good quality at the right price. These things are the best quality ones I've found, and again, at five bucks a pair. And I'm not just big on, you know, I want to keep myself groomed nicely and all, and I think that this is definitely an item belongs in your first aid kit as well. Uh, you can get injuries around nails and things like that. Uh, hygiene during a, a long-term uh, outage is also really important. But there's a lot of other things they do. I keep a set of these in every tackle box that I own for doing you know, fishing stuff and trimming line off and stuff like that. Um, and the other thing is I don't want to go spending a ton of money on them. There's, there's three things that I lose more than anything else in my life. In order, they are Sharpie markers tape measures and nail clippers. And I don't get it. I'm talking not leaving the room or the garage having just had it in my hand and it's gone like a fart in the wind. Sometimes they show up a day, a week, a month later. Sometimes they're gone forever. So, you know, I've often said, like, I don't believe in the supernatural, but if there's gnomes or something like that out there uh, that steal stuff, they must adore pens, tape measures, and nail clippers. So I don't want to spend too much money to get high quality. So, I usually buy a couple you know four or six of these things at a time if I lose them eventually and accept that they'll turn up somewhere else. But um, if you want the best product in this particular realm without mortgage I mean, how much money are you gonna spend on a set of clippers? You know are you gonna spend twenty dollars on a set of nail clippers? I'm not because the gnomes are gonna steal it from me. These are the ones to get. You can find them at tspaz.com or just go to the survivalpodcast.com, scroll down, and you can see what's there. Remember that if you are not a subscriber to my email list, you should be. Uh, a daily email goes out every day with all of the new stuff on the blog so that you don't miss anything. I now send one email a day. You can sign up by going to the survivalpodcast.com and clicking on subscribe. And as always, the short domain to get to the website is tspc.co, tspc.co. Guys, bookmark me in your, you know, on your phone's browser or whatever, so you can always check out the site. Um, also, I just want to let you know I do have two more videos out today. Uh, that if you get the email, you'll get in the email uh, parts 15 and 16 of my new aquaponics build. And this is really going through the fertility program. It's probably the only place I've ever put it all in one place. Uh, in the first video, I go through all the products that I use and some products I've not ever mentioned before on the air. And then in the second video, part 16, I actually uh, basically sheet mulch the new uh, beds and show you how I do soaking of the mulch with uh, seaweed, liquid seaweed and all this other good stuff. Uh, pretty good videos, and they're out today, and there's links to everything in that video, in that post. So I just want to let you know that was there. Again, if you're not following me on Instagram, guys, It's a Jack Life on Instagram We're having a lot of fun with it My wife has uh, really gotten into it She's doing a great job She's putting some stuff up that I wouldn't even have ever thought to And that's why I have her doing it I'd love to have you come follow us there Again, the the handle is It's a Jack Life With that, let's talk about our song of the day today We're back to the uh, I had five songs coming to you from Jamie Dupree Jamie is the the acoustic uh, guitarist That plays a harp guitar It's a beautiful instrument and this is a beautiful song. This might be my favorite piece of music by him. It's one of my favorite songs in general. Wind of Change, of course, originally from The Scorpions. Um, this That song's beautiful. Like, not just what it's about. And not just the vocals in it. The piece of music that is in that song, in the original version by The Scorpions, is beautiful. This harp guitar accentuates that beauty. This is just an incredible piece of music, and this is another one of those things like, so I guarantee you that you probably know somebody that if you told them to listen to the Scorpions, they would be like, I don't think so. And even if you played that song for them, even if they gave it half a, a chance, it still got some of that heavy, hard sound to it, and no, it's just not their thing. I bet you they'd listen to this, and I bet you'll enjoy it. We've got one more coming from Jamie tomorrow, and we'll be on to something else with our song of the day. With that, this has been Jack Speerko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't.